do every single Saturday on these airwaves. My name's Casey Steve, the voice of your Valley Citizen Watch on Merced's News Talk 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. Come on. That's you, Merced. Los Manos. Livingston. El Nido. Guajara. And our favorite little town. Gustine, that's right. Dairy capital of the county, I think. I think it's still. Isn't Dairy still number one? I had a debate the other day. Uh, not a debate. We were talking the other day at lunch. Is dairy number one, or is it almonds? Have they surpassed? I know they were creeping uh, right up there. Very, very close. Hey, welcome to the show. It's Saturday morning, September 18th, 2021. A brand new show, original content. That's right. 6 a.m. hour, we replayed uh, the, what was that, Darren McDaniel again. I'm sure people are done with that interview. You can always uh, catch the archives, 1480kyos.com. Go to the podcast. Uh, what is it? Banner, button, tab. Click on it. There they all are. Community conversations as well as Citizen Watch. So if you miss any one of those, they're uh, they're right there for you. I think we're over 100 and uh, some shows now. Quite a few. No, 200. Excuse me. I'm sorry. And we've been doing this for a long, long time. Doing this show for a, uh, well, almost a decade now. Really uh, happy the way things have progressed. Uh, it's, uh, it's sometimes hard to do the show though. Sometimes I'll tell you that today is a little difficult. It's been a busy week. Hasn't it folks? Uh, started off Monday night with a bang over there at the mountain Mike's pizza by the Harbor freight over there off of olive Avenue, our retail corridor, seen a lot of changes over there. A lot of additions, a lot of things going on, but, uh, the violence, violence over there, kind of out of control, really, really in all of Merced County city of Merced. Uh, we had the shooting at Walmart not too many months ago. A young man was killed. I believe that was a gang-related incident. Uh, four people in the vehicle. They got the uh, driver. I believe the driver was killed. It seemed to me he was a standout uh, football individual over Atwater. Played played sports in Atwater. Kind of going by memory here. And then this week, Monday night, Monday night football was supposed to be a good time. How many people have uh, partied over at Mountain Mike's Pizza watching football? I know I have. Place is packed. It's not that big. It's a, you know just a little tenant improvement space over there in a in a strip mall basically, and this uh, individual, 21 years old, gang member, you know, had the area code in case you forget that tattooed on his face, along with other gang uh, insignia, decided that uh, the way to settle a dispute nowadays is to pull out a gun and start cranking off rounds inside a crowded facility restaurant with children, parents, everybody in there. This is completely unacceptable. I don't know. Where the outrage is, I, I guess we're just getting used to it, which is sad, which is, which is really sad. Individual was killed. Another 187, another notch on the, uh, the 187 roll, roll here, that we're, the, the uh, tally for the year, and it's not looking good just in the first part of September to have another murder. Luckily, the suspect was detained physically by some of the patrons. Looks like he was tuned up a little bit in the detainment. And uh, again, I, I don't know what, what's happening to our to our community. The violence is really bad. The homeless situation, 
is exponentially getting worse and worse. You saw some cleanup this week over at the G Street off-ramp. This has been a really big eyesore. I noticed they put the K-wall up, the concrete barrier, the temporary barrier, construction barrier, there to try to keep the vehicle traffic out. I don't see how they're going to keep the pedestrian traffic out. If anything, it may make it a little busier because they almost had a road down the middle there for the vehicles to transverse from 13th and G all the way to 15th. That's been cleaned out. The people have been dispersed. They're all over the city now. I've noticed them uh, over at the McKee Street Bridge quite heavily. That bridge is completely infested underneath with folks that are living in complete squalor, open sewage, uh, food rotting, trash rotting. I counted, what, five Target shopping carts over there, brand new. Of course, it was mentioned at the last city council meeting to now go after the retail establishments for not securing their carts, which is, uh, I guess, a way to go after the problem. Don't go after the people causing it by taking the carts. Go after the people providing the carts. And I'm sure that will uh, endear, endear uh, the city to the retail businesses here in this community. Uh, another layer of regulation. We already have an ordinance regarding the removal of carts from the business, from the premises, that could be enforced. It's not enforced, like so many other laws that are on the books that are not enforced. And very, very disappointing. So... Uh, the, 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 the decline continues as far as crime here in the city, in the county, the shooting at Mountain Mike's Pizza. Just, just very, 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 very disappointing. The ad for Mountain Mike's came in the weekly mailer this week. And I don't know if it would double as a tourniquet or if there was maybe a free box of ammo, but this is not a chamber of commerce moment that you want for local business. And I hope that this gang issue, because again, this was gang related, you know, it's no secret who these folks are. They literally wear it on their, uh, you know, wear it like a badge of, of courage, of pride. And I think that uh, we need to take a little bit heavier enforcement profile. I know we had Viper, some of these good programs going on. Again, the cleanup on uh, the cleanup on G Street, pretty well done. It's uh, bare dirt over there. But according to the city, at the last city council meeting, there would be nothing to prevent folks from moving back onto the property. It's enforced, as you know, by Caltrans slash CHP. I don't know if they've got more direction on that, as you can tell by the Home Depot encampment, as I call it, that is right along the freeway there. Starts basically at the creek and goes all the way down to V Street. Uh, they're, they're not enforcing that area, cleaning that area up. So I, I don't hold out hope that the G Street area will uh, once again uh, be repopulated by those folks that, well, were there in the first place. It was interesting in the city council, or excuse me, in the Matserato's Facebook page, city's Facebook page, they made uh, some mention of the amount of trash they've cleaned up over there, that sort of thing. And there was evidently 44 people that were offered services, quote-unquote, homeless services, addiction services, mental health, those type of things, and three of the 44 took it up. That means 41 did not. I had to use my MCOE math on that. That's a that's a big percentage. Don't get me, you know, it's a lot of a lot of people that didn't choose to get help. I think that's over 90% that chose not to get help. And the uh, the point being is there's a lot of drug use going on in these camps, a lot of addiction problems, a lot of drug dealing going on. All you have to do is sit, observe some of these camps and the uh, traffic going in and out, the hand-to-hand -hand sales. Uh, the foot traffic, the vehicle traffic, it's just 
a lot of drug use is going on. A lot of these folks are addicted to some pretty, uh, some pretty, pretty strong stuff. A lot of mental health issues that go along with that. And then where you're living is just not a good combination. And it's not a good look for our city. There's a lot of crimes, a lot of car prowls, a lot of vehicle prowls. Private property being stolen, personal property being stolen. It's just, it's just uh, private property being attacked, personal property being stolen. It's just not a good look for the city of Merced. And I hope there's some action, especially with this murder, the murders increasing here in the, in the community. Well, the recall election went off this week, Tuesday. That was the other kind of a big thing that people were looking forward to. Uh, mail-in ballots. There were voting centers. Of course, prior to that, there was an election for Area 3 City School Board, Merced City School District. Uh, Board of Trustees, open position. Adam Cox had left to pursue a paid position with the school district. Didn't work out when the superintendent was canned. Wanted his job back. Alan Brooks came in, threw his hat in the ring, and was successful. Quite a, a disparity of votes there. So it'll be interesting. He's been sworn in. Of course, the governor's race. Governor Newsom is still our governor and will be for another year and a half. I assume he's running for office again. So that was a big deal. And then the uh, the big, huge news, really, it was one of the reasons it was uh, tough to do this show today, get it together, the 6 o'clock show. We replayed Darren McDaniel's interview. Again, we were trying to get some, info, uh, trying to get some stuff together from the, from the archives. And I'm going to read from the Merced County Times. They didn't have time to do a big article on this. But if folks didn't know, if you haven't heard yet, Larry Morris II, the former district attorney of Merced, a frequent, frequent guest on these airwaves on Citizen Watch. Uh, larger than life personality. Just a great, great human being. I considered him a friend. He was uh, up in Sacramento the last few years after uh, he left the district attorney's position. He was a lobbyist. I'll just read the uh, the little blurb here in the Merced County Times. There will be more coming out in the papers. Very sad news came to the Times just before the presses ran on Wednesday morning. Reports came in that former Merced County District Attorney Larry Morris II died in Sacramento. The 64-year-old longtime prosecutor reportedly died Sunday, so, excuse me, suddenly of a heart attack on Tuesday. Morris was selected, elected uh, Merced County District Attorney in 2006 and led the office through the start of 2019 personally prosecuted many high-profile cases with a perfect success record, including the death penalty conviction of the man who murdered Merced police officer Stephen Gray. He also spearheaded several investigations against area gangs and created partnerships with local schools and proactively to proactively keep young people on the right track. Morris is a longtime member and leader in the California District Attorneys Association. He was working with the group at the time of his death. Despite his work in Sacramento, Morris had continued to live in Merced with his family in the downtown area. The time joins the Merced community in mourning the loss of Larry Morse, and we hope to have more information in upcoming editions. And I'm sure they will. And again, this is just devastating news. It was earth, earth-shaking news to myself, to the community. Uh, it's still hard to process, to be quite honest with you. And because of that, uh, because of what's happened, I want to play some old interviews that I had with Larry. And uh, some of them include Robert Tomasetti, my old partner on this show. There's also a couple of segments with the sheriff, Vern Warnke, after he was elected, where they came in together and talked about some issues concerning our community. So I'm going to start off uh, with the end of this segment, and then we'll continue this show, and that'll continue into the 9 o'clock hour, the bonus half hour. 
Larry Morris II died at 64 years old, way too soon. And it's such a sad, sad thing. Our hearts and prayers go out to the Morris family, to Cindy, his children, his granddaughter, all of the family. It's a tragedy. There's just, it's, there's just not words to say. So as a tribute, I wanted to play some of Larry's old interviews. Again, folks, we're so uh, fortunate to have the two top law enforcement officers of Merced County in studio, and I'm not going to get into which one is the top because they both <laughs> represent both factions. You know, I always say uh, law enforcement is, is like the show law and order. The first half, you have you have to go out and arrest them and, uh, you know, catch them and clean them, so to speak, and then we have, of course, corrections in there to house them. And then the last half of law and order is the adjudication process, the scales of justice, lady justice, and that's where Larry comes in. So uh, it's great to have both sides uh, of the uh, law enforcement spectrum here in studio and the reason they're here folks is there was a press conference today i was unable to attend it but they're going to recap it on a proposition now i don't know if folks have got their uh, uh ballot uh, uh literature in the mail it looked like a small phone book from mariposa it was it was uh, huge it was thick i think there's 20 some propositions on the ballot of course the uh, state the local races all those things but one of them is prop 57 prop 57 and this is the uh, uh folks this this is realignment on steroids you know we've had different uh reiterations of things coming down ab 109 Blah, blah, blah. And I wanted Larry just, we were talking a little bit about how we got here uh, today to the election uh, in, a, in, a, in 30 days or so. But how did we get here with this, this proposal by the government to let more people out of prison? How did we get here? Well, several years ago, uh, the population in California's prison had, prisons had climbed uh, into the 170s in a system that is built to accommodate probably under 130,000. So in 2011, the governor sponsored what is known as realignment, AB 109. And what it did was send back to the counties, to county jails, to Vern uh, and the rest of us, uh, what they called non, non, non non-violent, non-sex, non-serious. Right. And they probably dropped the population of uh, the correction system by at least 30,000 as a result of realignment. While we were all getting adjusted to that, the idea of realignment was that services are better provided locally uh, by probation departments, uh, community-based organizations, et cetera, than they are at the state. And that's a defensible argument. Right, but the money was supposed to flow too, and did it, Vern? No. That's a little bit uh, of the first part of that interview. We'll pick up the rest of it in the rest of the 8 o'clock hour of Citizen Watch. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Hey, here we are, Saturday morning, Citizen Watch, second segment, 8 a.m. hour, September 18th, 2021. Come to you on a uh, very, you know, a sad note. Lost a, a really great guy here in the community, Larry Morse the second, The former district attorney, still very involved in the community, his wife Cindy, the whole Morse family, just scions of the community, done so much, still doing so much for the community. We're playing an interview that we had with Larry and Vern Warnke back on October 15th of 2016. Vern had been elected, I believe, a couple of years at this point. And we had them both in the studio to talk about some legislation that was going on. And uh, hopefully you'll find this interesting. Again, Larry, rest in peace. 
while we were all getting adjusted to that, the idea of realignment was that services are better provided locally uh, by probation departments, uh, community-based organizations, et cetera, than they are at the state. And that's a defensible argument. Right, but the money was supposed to flow too, and did it, Vern? No. That was the problem, that right? That was a huge problem. They were supposed to send money so that we could uh, backfill the positions. We were stuck f- filling the positions, but we now we have to babysit these guys. And uh, we've got a special SRT supervised release team, and their job is to uh, put ankle monitors on these individuals who have you know they need to be monitored and the reason they have to be monitored is well they're bad guys right and also housing they didn't give you any money for more facilities to house these folks no so basically we got them out of the state system and into our community this was a self uh, self self-fulfilling prophecy ab 109 and prop 47 oh if we do these the crime rate's going to go down well no kidding under prop 47 they decriminalize so many of these things Oh, obviously the crime went down. No kidding. We're not counting the same crimes as we were before. Exactly. So when they say, oh, the crime has gone down, well, when you quit making it a crime, then they're no longer committing that crime. Kind of a smoke and And, mirrors. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Larry. Actually, uh, crime has now gone up in the last 15 months. Uh, 2015, you had a 9% increase in homicides in California. In 2013, after we got serious in the mid-90s about repeat violent offenders and started uh, dropping gang enhancements on them, uh, strikes, uh, 1020 life, finally the crime rate in California began to tumble, and it tumbled dramatically and reached its, uh, its lowest level in 2013. We had had... 4,000 plus homicides in 1992, I think, at the peak of the violence uh, in uh, California. In 2013, it was down to 1,700 homicides. So when we say, though, a a 9% homicide increase in 2015, that's just a number. Mm -hmm. But for Vern and for me, people who have dealt with families of murder victims for our entire careers those aren't just numbers no. those are people whose lives will never be the same no. we see them every year at victims uh organizations a uh, celebration of victims and uh memorials for them and there's a look in a family member who's lost someone to homicide that you can't even describe mm-hmm. it's a vacancy it's an emptiness Birthdays are never the same for that family. Holidays are never the same. Their lives will never, ever be what they once were because they've lost somebody. So the idea that we had a 9%, that translates to more than 100 people that were murdered than the year before. And so we absorbed realignment, AB 109, then Prop 47, which is the sheriff noted, changed all kinds of uh, drug offenses from felonies to misdemeanors property and, crimes. and change property crimes. It used to be $400. Anything above $400 in theft was a uh, felony. Now it's $950 right. and you can't even aggregate them. So if I have a guy who's been charged with three separate, uh, uh, shoplifting charges, mm-hmm. $900 at Target, $925 at, uh, at uh, Walmart, mm-hmm. uh, and 875 at Best Buy. He's stolen nearly $3,000. He's been to prison. He's had a long history of theft offenses. 
all we can do under Prop 47 is charge him with three misdemeanors, mm-hmm. where previously we would have been able to send that guy back to prison for being a, a, a thief with a prior history. And then you see this in our uh, retail community here, just across from the alley at the station at Walgreens. I always tease them. They don't they don't chase pro, uh, shoplifters no, anymore. No. They let them walk right out the door. So you don't get the shopliftings with a prior, like you say, to make yep. it a felony. So we have so many people slipping through the cracks. Now we find ourselves, now we, we've let all these people go. We're not charging crime that we used to charge we're not calling uh you know what it used to be it's something different how do we find ourselves here we're still overcrowded is that the problem well actually the number is below 130 the state prison inmate population is below 130 we are below the federal cap uh but after we had absorbed uh, prop 47 and realignment then the governor comes out with prop 57 now he did this without any meaningful consultation with the sheriffs with the police chiefs, with the DAs, the people that are in charge of making communities safer. He did this all on his own. And what it purports to do is release nonviolent offenders, or excuse me, what it purports to do is give nonviolent prison inmates an opportunity for early parole. The flaw and the basic lie of the initiative is who is nonviolent. Under the California Penal Code, there are only 23 crimes that are considered violent, that are by statute violent. If a crime is not on that list of 23, which you, you know, murder, robbery, rape, kidnap, if it is not on that list, it is by default nonviolent. So crimes like... Uh, How about shooting at your house? Uh, that would be a drive-by shooting. That's not violent. Uh, how about uh, rape of an unconscious person? Uh, the Brock Turner case, that would be considered a nonviolent. Now, wait a minute. Shooting at an occupied dwelling, a drive-by shooting is not considered nonviolent? Under this, yes. Under the... Well, you know, I just want to... Back up just a minute. We'll talk about the other things. But why would the governor do this if we're below the hundred? If we're below the federal mandate, can you? I, I'm not asking you to crawl into Jerry's head or thinking process. But Larry, why would he do this, Arvern? Well, I, you know, it's kind of baffling to me. You know, when he came to the state sheriffs association, was talking about it because back in the '70s, when we, as a society, had elected him back then. Uh, he had made determinate sen- sentencing, correct? He went from indeterminate to de- de- determinate, late no, 70s. In other what, words, which, what does that mean? It means if you've done, uh, you know what, if you smacked a tree, you're going to get two years. Okay, if you punch somebody in the face, you're going to get three years. So what he did is, by the basis on the crime, there was an actual attached Oh, so penalty. it was a determined period of time. Remember, I get it. Okay. the old days, remember, somebody would get two to ten, Right. Uh, going to get five to life. Uh, that was indeterminate sentencing, I and see. the decision on releasing them was left to parole boards. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the governor signed legislation that took us from indeterminate sentencing to determinate sentencing. Okay, so that if a person was given eight years in prison, they were going to do the eight years less the credits, and every person who's sentenced to prison gets credits of either fifty percent for a nonviolent crime or fifteen percent for a violent crime. The 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 beauty of that system is that Vern and I can tell a victim, you know, who's been a victim of domestic violence and been beaten senseless by an abuser, we could tell that victim when the judge sentenced uh, her assailant, we could say, he's not getting out until January of 2019. That's when he's going to go. What Prop 57 would do is, is give parole boards 
the opportunity to release these people ahead of the sentences that the judges imposed. So it's, what's really interesting in this is judges become advisory. You know, a judge sentence somebody to 10 years. Well, maybe it's 10 years and maybe it, it isn't. It's going to be left to the Department of Corrections and a parole board to decide whether to give them an earlier release because uh, they committed a quote-unquote nonviolent crime. And, and are, the, are the lengths of the sentences, there's no minimum minimum now? No. Well, and something else I think we're neglecting to talk about is, is there, we're also not going to be counting the person's history. Oh, so no, no gluing no, back. No, you can have a guy strikes. in there that's been under whatever the most violent individual you can find. He comes out, and commits burglary. He's going to be determined based upon the current crime current that he committed. Only. What, guys, what is the is the idea behind this? Are we trying to sociologically change the way we look at at, at crime and, and punishment? I, I, what is the I governor met trying with the to governor do? On, on this, I, I'm co-chair of the No on 57 campaign for the state of California with the mayor of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, and my mm -hmm. colleague uh, Greg Tott in the DA in Ventura County. We met with the governor a week after he introduced this. Two things. Jerry thinks he made a mistake when he signed the uh, determinate sentencing bill because there were so many enhancements on sentences that it created longer and longer sentences than was ever uh, intended in his mind. Uh, secondly, he's under the pressure of this federal court order to, to get the population below and to keep it there. And thirdly, he has said, if you give a guy 10 years in prison and he can't, he's not going to get out for eight and a half years because he committed a violent crime, there is no incentive for him to do more to improve himself, to make him a better person when he comes out of prison. Those about, are the arguments the governor has, has advanced. What about the choice he made to get into prison? Should he be responsible for that choice? Well, not well, under this one. Well, but, we think he should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, by all means. You okay, know, so, I was asked today, you know, Casey, when we're talking about this, I was asked today, as was Larry. One of the new stations asked us, what's your idea? If Prop 57 isn't the answer for reducing our prison population, what is? My comment to him was, was, what was the guy thinking when he committed the crime? We've got no punishment. There are no, uh, oh, I'm losing my words here. Uh, there's no there's no convictions. There's Consequence. no consequences on any of this. There's none. Even my grandsons know that there's a consequence. It's called time out. Do you think they like that? No, they don't. Uh, rather than me going up and scold them, oh, you can't do that, and then that's it. They go, okay. And, go out. And, uh, and I just keep scolding them, and nothing is ever done. Well, that's what this is going to amount to. You put them time out. That's what works. That's what's always worked, and people don't like it. The way this initiative works, uh, Casey, is that th for purposes of determining whether someone is eligible, and the governor sa always emphasizes, oh, this just makes them eligible, doesn't mean they're going to get out. It's the primary term. So let's, I'll give you an example. We got a guy that commits an uh, assault with a deadly weapon. Right, ADW. ADW. Now, it's an ugly one. One victim. He's had a history of drug offenses, minor, you know, theft and properties, never been to prison. But because of the nature of this crime, he gets three years midterm in state prison. <clears throat> we have another guy. He is a gang member. He has assaulted three people, assaulted with a deadly weapon, three people. 
He's done it for the benefit of the criminal street gang. Right. He's got a strike because he's been to prison before for another crime of violence. So we would, and you're looking at these two individuals, one's got three years, the other is going to get the three years times two, because mm-hmm. that's what a strike does, it doubles. And he's going to get a five-year enhancement because he committed the crime for the benefit of a criminal street gang, which takes him up to 11. And then because he's been to prison before, he's going to get another one. So his sentence would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 years, right? right? Two guys, different circumstances, multiple victims, bad history, et cetera, et cetera. Under the governor's initiative, both of these individuals would be eligible for parole at the end of the three-year term because that's the primary term. So it disregards the strike. It disregards the multiple victims. It disregards uh, uh, the the fact that the crime was committed for gang purposes. So and it just looks at history. That's so it insane. Ju- it just looks at one charge it of a multiple. Charge. So on a serial killer, you only got to atone for one, one murder. One, I mean, this, pretty this, much. This, well, yeah. this is crazy, guys. I don't know if you can stay through the break. Uh, this is really fascinating. I assume what we're getting to is a no on fifty-seven. In case you can't stay, right? Is that I'm what nodding we're my head yes because yes. we're on radio. Yes, okay, we're on no radio. on fifty-seven. All right, <laughs> and we'll stay. Folks, uh, we are going to be right back. Uh, Citizen Watch, stick with us. Vern uh, Warnke, Sheriff of uh, Merced County, and Larry Morse, the District Attorney of the same county. So glad to have both of them in studio. We'll be right back. Our pleasure. Uh, There's one more segment of this interview of Larry Morse and Vern Warnke. Special replay in honor of Mr. Morse. From October 15th of 2016, we'll be right back. two guys we have in studio we love them any way we can get them because it's uh, rare that we get them both in studio at the same time talking about larry morse our uh, district attorney the city of merced county of merced excuse me also takes care of the city and of course Vern warnke our newly elected sheriff two years in the saddle my he, he has done so much in his uh, short tenure there uh, a lot of a uh, lot of challenges over there, and one of the things that uh, he's been has been throwing at him in this uh, upcoming election. Hopefully not. Hopefully it'll get voted down. Is his Proposition 57? We talked a little bit about in the last segment about how we got to this point, and I think we understand now that we're here. We don't need to go further with approving Proposition 57, but I wanted to talk about some of the other things just briefly that we do have going on in the county. And one of the big feathers in our hat that our local assemblyman got us was uh, uh, this Viper program. And I'm not quite sure what it stands for, but I think it's a multi-year program, over a million dollars a year. And can you, either one of you jump in or both of you talk a little bit about what Viper is going to do and what it's not going to do? Okay. Uh, Viper was actually uh, uh, my chief uh, investigator, Pat Lunny, and I sat down one day after we had just continued to strike out uh, the sheriff and I over at the Board of Supervisors on getting funding into our gang task force. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Chief Lenny and I sat down and uh, with the sheriff, we drafted this proposal for Viper, Violence Interruption Prevention uh, uh, Education. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm forgetting what the R is. Uh, 
And we were able to sit down with uh, Assemblyman Gray and say, we'd like to take a shot at creating a pilot project to deal with gang violence because we had just come off our third year of more than 30 homicides. Record murders in the number in the state of California. Number one in the state of California. And there just wasn't the response that we were looking for from the county. And so we thought, well, let's take a shot at the state. Maybe Mm -hmm. we can interest them in supporting a creative program. So we put together the Viper language. And what's What's unique about the Viper program, we're not just putting more cops on the street. What Viper is, is mostly an intelligence gathering operation. What we have learned from several of the recent major task force investigations that have happened in the last couple of years, most recently last year, we had Operation Red Right Hand. Mm -hmm. We arrested 50 some uh, Norteño gang members. We took out 28 guns uh, from off the streets. We solved a couple of homicides. What we've learned, because we have really good partners with the Attorney General's Bureau of Investigations that have worked with us, not every gang member is a shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them want to hang out with uh, uh, other guys, uh, you know, running together. Some of them want to move some dope. Some of them want to, you know, party. Some of them want to intimidate others. But it's not all of them that are crazy enough to just start opening up, you know, at parties or that sort of stuff and just shooting guns indiscriminately right. or discriminately. So what we've learned is if you take some of the, the key players out of circulation, the numbers begin to tumble. And the best evidence of that is after three straight years of 30 homicides, and Vern and I are both knocking on wood wherever we, we can find yes. it, we are, I think, under 10 homicides for the year in, in uh, Merced County, which would be just a historic reversal. Now, we can't rest on our laurels or get cocky no. about that. No. But we are on to something in that if we do a better job of using social media and doing uh, intelligence gathering, mm-hmm. we are better able to zero in on communities that are having you know, explosions of, of gang violence or whatever, figure out what's going on there, identify the key perpetrators and get them out of there. But what Viper does and what some of its opponents have uh, failed to understand is it also has money in it. We got $4.5 million to get to, you know, uh, evidence-based, proven community-based organizations that can follow up after we do an operation, work with kids that are at risk or first-time gang members and redirect them to services like Boys and Girls Club or CASA or, you know, we're looking at around the county what are proven programs that have a track record of keeping kids out of the system. Vern and I are in absolute lockstep agreement that the most effective public safety policy is to keep kids out of the system in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so the the Viper program is both targeted and uh, much more intelligence-based gathering on what's going on with the gangs and also a community component that will put money into these communities to try to redirect kids away from gang life and running afoul of the law. And it's not just, you know, uh, and what Larry's talking about, and the misconception is, is, oh, we're just out to arrest bad guys. Well, you know, what we have to do is this is a multi-layered investment. Yes, we're going after the bad guys. Make no mistake about it. But we're also going to go after to try and prevent bad guys from happening. We want these uh, communities to be identified. And having this Viper program is going to have our intelligence gathering so that they're going to be able to put together, say, you know what, we need a couple counselors in this location. We need to, you know what, let's start a program in this community. Let's, you know, at this base, if we were just to be able to get and open up a food uh, basket. Whatever it takes, that's what the intelligence is for, so we can go after the problem. Make no mistake, Larry's and my job 
is to make these communities safe and do everything we can. But we're also going after to try and prevent this stuff from happening. Viper is the tool that we're going to use for that. It's multi-layered. We have multi-talents coming into this. I mean, just the spectrum of the intelligence gathering. People, oh, oh my gosh, they're going to be spying. No, we're not. We're taking the crime stats. We're taking information from schools because of every right. school is a microcosm of what's going on into that community. That's right. They all have that. So we've got components in place and we're going to have all this stuff coming in and we're going to take all that information, coalesce it, and then we're going to say, okay, here's a problem here. Let's get these people involved. You think I'm going to be involved in every one of that or Larry? No, but there are going to be specialized individuals that can go in there and help on the recognized problems. And this Viper program is going to help us recognize and go after and take care of. We want to prevent this from happening. We really do. And that's where it's going to come down to. And, you know, success in my job, you know, I've done, what, 20, 25 murder trials. I've, you know, got people on death row. I've, you know, done all that. There's not a lot of joy in that. It's mm -hmm. accountability and holding people, regardless of their circumstances, regardless of whether they're, you know, uh, you know, the color or whatever their background is, holding people accountable for what their actions are, right. as we've all been taught. Success in our business, to me at least, is I'll run into somebody in a market sometimes, and he'll come up and say, do you remember me? And after the moment of terror passes, I think <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get knocked <laughs> over. Where is his aisle? <laughs> yes. Then he'll, I've had this happen many, many times in my career. Mm -hmm. He'll say, you know, uh, five six years ago I had a terrible drug problem and I was just careening out of control and you know I got into the diversion program prop 36 or whatever and got it turned my life around and this is my wife we're expecting our first kid I've been working for three hours that is success that is success not locking the people up that's our job and we're gonna do it and we're gonna do it aggressively because we have to make our community safe but success for us is keeping people out of the system in the first place and you know Adam Gray is no caveman he's not dragging his knuckles on the ground looking no. for people to, no, to, to pillage and plunder he thought about this program very carefully and he said hey I think this offers real opportunity for us to both deal with a, an exploding gang problem and lay the, the seeds and the foundations for us to divert these at-risk kids from getting caught up in the system. There's no joy in seeing a 16 or 18-year-old kid getting trundled off to state prison. I mean, everybody failed. Their families failed, first and foremost. Uh, our school, our society, we all failed. Right. When somebody goes off to prison, it's, it represents failure. No. We would much rather you know, invest in success in keeping them out of the system. Well, I hope the detractors of Viper out there hear the compassion in both of these gentlemen, what they talk about. It's not just to arrest people. It's not about racial profiling. It's really about helping those that can be helped early. Larry is, is, is one of the most compassionate people I know, and again, a success to him is somebody coming up to him and saying, hey, you know, I got my life straight, and thank you. Yeah. And, and it's not, you know, uh, you put me in jail. So nothing, as we all know, nothing turns a bleeding heart into a tough on crime advocate more than being the victim of a crime or having somebody in their family. So some right. of these people who are advocating for dismantling, you know, the, the system as we know it, uh, who are they going to call when somebody opens fire on them or a loved one or assaults them or their child? Well, let's, let's talk about this just for a minute because I want to know who, who are they to begin with because they, they come out with this study, uh, this Merced organizing project came, you know, in, in conjunction with PICO, which I don't know who they are, and it turns out they never talked to either one of you Nothing. prior to the study. 
study came out with these uh, these these skewed statistics. And again, folks, liars use statistics, and statistics lie, as we always say. And so they they turn this around. They they skew this. They tried to make it seem like we were uh, racist here in this county that we only uh, picked on people of color. And and what we've heard here today, folks, that's not the truth. That's not what's happening. It's character. And I like something the sheriff always talks about character. What do you say about character? It's what you do when you think no one's looking. Exactly and, right. And that's what it gets to. And we had a we had a guy stand in front of a reflecting pool in front of a lot of people talking about not being judged by the color of your skin, but the content of your character. And you know, that was 54 years ago, 52 years ago, excuse me. And we're still arguing about race and what we look like. And because my last name ends in EZ, you know, you're picking on me. And that's not what's happening in this county, folks. It's not what's happening in this state. And we have the two top guys here telling you that. And you got to believe it. Again, Larry, talk a little bit about your Project 10%. Again, trying to divert people, young people, before they get to that point, right? Well, we're open to anything. We would be happy to meet with the the mop folks. We neither Vern nor I think we have a a, a corner on the market of ideas. I mean, uh, on how to make our community safer. We're more than willing to sit down with people who have productive, constructive ideas about how we can make our community safer. We both network very closely with the schools because they, as the sheriff said, are the feeder into the adult community. And so it is a microcosm for what we are going to be facing as they turn into adults. So we are constantly looking at our partnerships and where can we identify you know, areas of common ground and, and improve the services that we are providing to keep kids out of the system. But our jobs are first and foremost to protect the innocent men and women of Merced County. Mm -hmm. So if people are out committing violent crimes, we will leave no stone unturned in holding them accountable. And they will be punished to the full extent of the law. You know, that that is not what we want to do. That is what we have both sworn to do, and it is our compact with the people who elected us. We will hold accountable those who prey on uh, on the less fortunate or the, the innocent among us, mm -hmm. and we will do that. Uh, uh, make no mistake. Make no mistake about it. Larry and I are both elected by the people in this uh, county, whether they're in the city, whether they're in the, the county proper. Larry and I have been uh, working together. We've been uh, attending uh, uh, conferences together, and, you know, we're... We're here for the folks that have voted for us. Even the ones who didn't vote for us, we're still, I'm still your sheriff. He's still your district attorney. You represent everybody yep. in this county. Yep. Yes. So uh, our goal is, is to make this the safest place we can make it. And uh, we're doing everything humanly possible. And uh, this Viper program, I think, is going to be the... Uh, the start of something that's going to be yeah, very good in this state. Well, you know, it's a start, and we, we got just a minute, but, you know, what other things would, would both of you like to see? And, you know, Larry's talked a little bit. What would you like to see, Vern? You want more jails, more cops, both? What what, what could we get you? I think equipment-wise you're doing okay, right? Equipment, we're doing all right. What I'd like, you know, we talked about character. You know, uh, the unfortunate part is, is uh, the way law enforcement's being hammered uh, everywhere, especially in this nation, is that the, the money that's being paid to law enforcement isn't enough. Why would anybody want to give up a good job at a computer factory when they can be doing that? Well, I heard your last raise was actually a decrease. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is that we got deputies got a 10% raise, but because of the financial part of the benefit package, they have to pay more for that. They're actually making less money. So you, you have to ask yourself, well, why? Well, you know what? I made the offer to the supervisors and some of the other folks. Come on out. I'll suit you up. You can come out and ride with us. I want them to experience this. You have no knowledge unless you've walked through the jail cells what it's like in there, the noise, the smell, the sights, everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. You have no knowledge of what you're dealing with. We deal with people. 
Even a cattle rancher can predict what their cows are going to do. Okay, we right. deal with people. The Lord gave us free will. Well, fortunately, most of the people are good. Those who took that free will and took it a step further, we have to deal with that. So it's the unknown, and we don't know from one minute to the next. As I was coming over here, Larry, I was actually listening to an in-progress call in Tulare County, shots fired. They've got a guy wanted on a homicide, and they've got they have to call in SWAT and everything else. So because this guy realizes, you know what? There's no teeth. He's gonna he's gonna shoot it out. And I don't know as of right now yeah, uh, how it's ending. So we're in studio. So I would assume that you would need more. What your answer is more support from the supervisors, both for manpower and for facilities. And I would like to see uh, compensation. Well, the compensation is a huge, huge issue. It's got to be competitive. But uh, lose people. retaining the deputies, right? Yeah, and have retention. our citizens come. You know, our, how about our population out there? You know what, folks? We're the ones you call. Now, Larry, what could you use going forward to help your situation over there? Well, the, the most important thing the people of Merced County can do, honestly, is to vote no on Prop 57 because we are just starting with Viper and other things and the, the homicide numbers. I mean, this is a huge story. We're mm -hmm. down, you know, uh, more a than lot. half. I mean, right. a lot. And so there's a reason for that. We've got to look at that. If we pass something like Prop 57, and I can, I can promise you, we have all kinds of stories from around the state that uh, inmates are keenly aware of Prop 57, and we have, you know, confiscated communications in which they're sending out to their families, vote for Prop 57, I'll be home two or three <laughs> right. years, or gang members, et cetera, et cetera, and plotting what they're going to do when they get back out on the street. And, and the sad thing is Vern has to give them the right to vote, which yeah, was just... Exactly. Uh, we were just given more information on that. Un, un, absolutely unbelievable. Well, again, I, I think that probably you could, uh, without saying, uh, use some more resources to try to get oh, yeah. that backlog of 67 uh, cases waiting to go to court. And again, you just can't get enough resources We're taking in full advantage of the lull to try and move as many homicide exactly. cases through this year. I mean, we're really working it. Folks, I could keep these guys in here for another three hours, and they'd probably let me, but I have to let them go. Uh, they're not hard to love. Again, our law enforcement here in Merced County is doing a good job. They're Thank not, you, racial, not racially profiling you guys. They they're actually have the best interests of the community at heart, and I'm so happy they came in today. And again, guys, uh, hope you come in soon. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Casey. Bye. So that was my interview with Larry Morse and Vern Warnke from October 15th of 2016. After the break, top of the hour news, we're gonna to go to an interview we had March 18th of 2017, my last interview with Larry.